Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just wanted to take the opportunity to invite you to a new Sunday night series we're going to begin on the first Sunday night of 2019. It's a series entitled 70 AD and the End of the World. In this study, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives and even do a study on the book of Revelation. My hope in this study is not to convince you of something you don't believe, but that we might just marvel at what God is able to do. So join us on the first Sunday night in 2019 for our study. All are invited to attend. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn your Bibles to John chapter 19, verses 17 through 42, for this message is entitled, All According to Plan. Have you ever had to watch your plans fall apart? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person who likes to have a plan before I launch into something. I, I'm so incredibly introverted that I even plan out my conversations before I have them, which is why I might seem so nervous when people pull me into their office or say something like, I have something I need to talk to you about. It makes me nervous because I don't have a plan for how this conversation is going to go, and I might say something dumb or even damning during the conversation. When it comes to making plans, though, one proverb stands above the rest. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, the concept behind this principle is that if you have many experienced people around you to advise you, your plans will be more likely to play out the way that you hope. Um, Now, as we get into the height of Jesus' story and the purpose behind the book of John, several preachers and scholars wrongly assume that what happened to Jesus was a tragedy. It becomes more and more popular in our culture every single day to assume that Jesus was a victim of circumstance and that if he had had more experienced people around him, namely us, he would have been more successful in his mission. Well, today, if you get anything out of this message, I hope that is that the crucifixion of Jesus was no accident to history. Everything that happened in this passage we're about to read went according to plan. And not in the, oh, I meant to do that sort of way, but in the way that was meticulously planned out and fulfilled with flawless execution. No pun intended. Before we study this passage, I'm going to confess that I have a plan for how this sermon will go, but as I've come to find out in the past, things seldom go according to plan. What I need to do is to ask you to do something for me if you're willing. If you were in the service, what I'd ask is for you to participate in in kind of a responsive reading where I read something and then you read something. But today, uh, and today only, I'm going to ask you to recite something for me when I hold up my bulletin. You won't know this when it's online. Just listen for the words, all according to plan. And make a special note of that. Now, the reason I want you to do that is not so that Uh, to make sure that you're paying attention or or that I get some kind of enjoyment out of making things awkward for you, but to ensure that we are all solid in our conviction that everything that happened to Jesus went all according to plan. Okay, so that's what I'm going to ask you to do is just every time I say the words all according to plan, just make a special note of that if you will. Okay, so now that we're ready, let's begin by reading John chapter 19 verses 17 through 42. This is what it says. They then took Jesus, therefore, and went out, him bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him and went with him, uh, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. 
So the chief priests and the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one place. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it decide to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. For that hour the disciple took him into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there, and so they put on a sponge the sour wine uh, upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and brought the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear, pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who, had seen the, he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says, they look upon him whom they pierce. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had been the first to come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it with linen wrappings, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in that garden a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in this passage of Scripture, and we just ask God that once again you would examine our hearts, that you would show us something incredible about this passage, show us something incredible about yourself. We love you, Father, and just ask that you would give us sight to see and ears to hear your truth. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one important point I think we need to recognize in our study is that the Jewish leaders were responsible for the arrest of Jesus, but at this point in Scripture, all authority over Jesus' death had been taken out of their hands. Now, this becomes a problem for them, as we will later see in the description above Jesus' cross. But even this was all according to plan. Uh, verse 17, it tells us, John tells us that Jesus was forced to carry his own cross to the place called the Place of the Skull, otherwise known as Golgotha. Now, something I found that was interesting about the location of Golgotha is that there is much debate as to why it was called the Place of the Skull. Many scholars believe that this is the, the location where David actually killed Goliath, which signified the symbolism of when uh, the seed of David would crush the head of the devil. 
Um, the early Christian scholar origin of Alexandria believed that this was the same location where Adam had died and was buried. Now, the importance of that belief is that this is where the first Adam died, and it's also where the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was killed as well. Now, of course, several just believe it was called the place of the skull because there was an image of a skull on the side of the rock face, which actually looked like a skull. Now, we don't really know whether any of these things are true or if all of them are true, now, what we do know is that the common image of Jesus carrying his cross portrayed in the movies is incorrect. We typically get a picture of Jesus carrying a large cross that was already assembled down the road of Jerusalem. However, uh, more accurately, the vertical beam was already set in place at Golgotha, and the horizontal beam was typically what uh, one who was being crucified would carry. Now, the book of John does mention... Uh, it doesn't mention that Jesus was beaten so terribly that he was unable to cr carry his cross further than the gates of Jerusalem. For the other Gospels mention a man named Simon of Cyrene having to carry this cross the rest of the way. And what I find extremely interesting is that Jesus knew the death that he was going to die early on in his ministry. For in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells his followers that if they want to be his disciple, that they must take up their cross and follow him. For being hung on a cross was no accident. This happened all according to plan. The Romans typically just tied someone to a cross, but because of their hatred for the Jews, they pierced the king of Jews, Jesus, by driving nails through his hands and to his, into his feet once he was lifted up on the cross. Now Psalms 22.16 says, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and feet, showing that this was no accident, that this happened all according to plan. John tells us in verse 18 that Jesus was crucified between two men. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us further insight that these two men were robbers and thieves. And the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53.9, his grave was assigned with wicked men. He said the 700 years before the death of Christ to signify that this was no accident, that this happened all according to plan. There is something unique about the death of Christ and the inscription that was hung above his head. You see, the purpose of crucifixion wasn't just to make someone suffer. It was to deter any future lawlessness to those who were entering the city. Everyone who entered the city would be forced to walk by those who were crucified. And typically, the bodies would hang upon the cross for days. And, and after death, it, it would stink. Now, uh, the inscription that would be placed over their head was to remind everyone of their crime. For example, murderers and thieves would have a sign above their head saying murder or thief to teach everyone that this is what happens to murderers and thieves. Don't, do not make trouble in our city. The Romans did this to, um, to weed out any future lawlessness. This is what happens to murderers and thieves. So what is so unique about the death of Jesus is that Pilate himself wrote the inscription that hung above his head. John tells us that Pilate wrote Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews, in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and had it placed at the top of the cross. Latin, the language of the Romans, Greek, the language of the Gentiles, and Hebrew, the language of the Jews, so that everyone might know that he is the king of the Jews. Now, what's so fascinating about this is that he didn't do this to proclaim a great theological truth that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He did this because he wanted to slight the Jews. He wrote this in mocking revenge towards the Jews. Remember, he wanted nothing to do with this, but they forced his hand, which is why the Jewish leaders commanded Pilate to change the inscription from king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. See, this would have served their agenda, and no one should proclaim to be the king of the Jews. 
Yet Pilate responded to them, What I have written, I have written. Now this is so amazing because God foreknew this event would take place, not because the Romans would submit to Jesus as their Lord, but because of the hostility between the Romans and the Jews. The Jews refused to acknowledge Jesus as their king. And the psalmist prophesied that this would happen in Psalm 118, 22, and 23. The stone which the builders had rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And the, this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You see, this was no accident. It happened all according to plan. In verses 23 and 25, John tells us the Roman soldiers take Jesus' clothes and they, they divided them between themselves. And now he tells us there were four soldiers, five pieces of clothing, and for the fifth piece that uh, was seamless and therefore valuable, they decided to cast lots to determine who would get it. The Romans believed that the ultimate disgrace was to take someone's clothing away. And so if you can tolerate it, the truth is that Jesus didn't have a pair of cotton briefs on when he was crucified. They crucified him naked to humiliate him. They, they, they didn't cast lots for, for his clothing because they wanted to fulfill a prophecy that John quotes, which is Psalm twenty two eighteen. No, they cast lots for his clothing because they were greedy. They thereby, thereby fulfilled what the psalmist prophesied 300 years before Christ, that it all happened according to plan. Now, in, in verses 25 to 27, John recorded that Jesus gave uh, John, the responsibility to care for his own mother. It was believed that Joseph, Mary's husband, had died at this point, which meant that the eldest son, Jesus, was responsible for providing for his own mother. Contrary to Catholic beliefs, Jesus did have brothers. For example, the New Testament confirms that Jude and James were both brothers of Christ. Why then did Jesus give the responsibility to John and not one of them? And the answer is because none of them were present. The reason it, why is because John, John proclaimed in John 7 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Thus, the responsibility was passed to the one who did believe in him, the only disciple present at the crucifixion, John. Keep in mind, this was no accident. This happened all according to plan. Now, in verse 28, it says, After Jesus, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. Psalm 22.15 says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my, my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. You see, he cried out in thirst to fulfill prophecy once again, signifying that this was no accident. This happened all according to plan. John tells us in verse 29 that the Romans lifted up sour wine for Jesus to drink. In the other Gospels, we see that Jesus at first refused this drink, and many people believed it was uh, in order to dull, they tried to give this to him to dull his senses, and then in the spirit of not abstaining from wine, that, that he would go to the crucifixion completely cognizant. However, in truth, there was very little alcohol content in this wine. It wasn't offered to dull their senses. If it did, the Romans wouldn't have given it to him. See, they wanted, uh, they wouldn't have given anything, to, to, any, anything to those being crucified to dull their senses. They wanted them to suffer to the last breath. Sour wine, wine mixed with vinegar, was often uh, was offered because it was extremely cool, cruel to be given sour wine when you thirsted for water. It was given to prolong life and to increase the torture. torture. You wanted them to hang up there for a long time. Jesus only drank it because he had to in order to fulfill prophecy. Psalm 69.21 says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. 
This was no accident he was given sour wine when he thirsted. It happened all according to plan. John records that after Jesus drank the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, what's intriguing about the book of John is that he doesn't record everything that Jesus said from the cross, nor does he give a complete picture of events, which is why I would strongly encourage you to go and study about the crucifixion by reading each of the gospel accounts. This doesn't mean that the other things that Jesus said from the cross didn't actually happen, just that John had an agenda in writing what he wrote. In Jesus' words, it is finished, he brings upon the completion of the mission that was placed upon him before the foundation of the world. The entire work of redemption had been been brought to completion upon the cross. Now, there is a single word uh, for in Greek for it is finished, teletestai, which, uh, which is not only recorded in John's original letter in Greek, but it has also been found on ancient receipts signifying that debt had been, quote, paid in full. So when Jesus uttered these words, it meant that all of our sin, which he carried to the cross, had been paid in full. We have been redeemed through the death of Christ. For his death was no accident. This happened all according to plan. John gives further context to this passage in that the Jews wanted those, all those hanging on the cross to have their legs broken in order that death might be sped up and their bodies might be taken down for the Passover for it was considered the land was considered unclean during the Sabbath or during the Passover so they, they asked that, that all, these le- all their legs be broken. See, when a person would hang on a cross, they usually weren't flogged near to death as Christ was, which means they usually wouldn't bleed to death. Crucifixion was one of the most horrible ways to die because it was supposed to last days where you were exposed to the elements and you would suffer before you die. Now, typically, a wooden brace was placed under a person's feet so that uh, when atrophy began to set in, uh, in order not to suffocate to death, the victim would involuntarily push themselves order uh, up in order to breathe so they could take a breath. In breaking their legs, however, they would be unable to push themselves up and they would quickly suffocate to death. Now, yet we see in Scripture... Uh, after they broke the legs of the men to Jesus left and right, his legs weren't broken because he was already dead. Now, the symbolism behind this is incredible. The other Gospels tell us us that Jesus died at the ninth hour, which according to the Jewish time frame was about uh, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which uh, was consequently the exact same time at which the high priest sacrificed the Passover lamb in the temple for Passover. It was the day of preparation. So that's when they would have done that. So God gave commands, uh, gave command thousands of years prior that when they sacrificed the lamb, none of its bones should be broken. Now, as we see in the death of the great Passover lamb, none of his bones were broken either. This again signifies that the crucifixion of Christ was no accident that it happened all according to plan. John tells us that that once the soldiers came up and realized that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. One soldier, however, however, pierced Jesus' side with his spear, and the blood had been separated from the water. Now, but from a medical standpoint, this is pretty fascinating because when a person's heart shuts down, water begins to fill the lungs. Blood came from the, comes from the ventricle, water comes from the pericardium, uh, signifying that Jesus died with a broken heart. The symbolism behind this is incredible since John has labored to show that Jesus is the source of living water and his blood is the payment for sin. John also says that uh, something here that is not found anywhere else in the book of John, which I find fascinating. He says, 
And he who has seen has testified that his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. In other words, John is making an oath here that what he has described is accurate, that this is what actually happened. Notice, however, that nowhere else in John's gospel do we see him making the same argument or the same statement. He didn't say this after Jesus turned water into wine nor after he walked on water, nor after he teleported his disciples four miles across the Dead Sea. Not even after he raised Lazarus from the dead did he say this. No, he includes it here after all these incredible fulfillments of prophecies happened to assure us that these things uh, didn't happen according to chance, nor did he make them up, that they all happened all according to plan. Now, he says this in verse 36 and 37, for these things came to pass to fulfill scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they look upon him whom they have pierced. Why did he include that? To show this, that this wasn't an accident. These things happened all according to plan. John continues by telling us that Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, and Nicodemus, the one who came to him at night, asked for Jesus' body from Pilate so they might bury him. Pilate agrees, not because he's all of a sudden agreeable to the Jews, but because God ordained it and it was determined to take place all according to plan. Now, since Jesus died at 3 p.m., the end of the Jewish day was 6 p.m., which signified the Sabbath where no work could be done. Nicodemus and Joseph had to be very quick in preparing his body for death. So they mixed uh, a mixture of myrrh and aloe and wrapped him in linen and placed him in a new tomb that was nearby. The other Gospels teach us that it was Joseph's own grave, and it was a tomb of a rich man. For Joseph was a rich man. So Isaiah 53, 9 says his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was laid in a rich man's tomb, once again, to show the power of God's foreknowledge to show that this happened all according to plan. Jesus was sacrificed the same time the Passover lamb was given in the uh, given sacrifice in the temple, um, and you know in the Passover tradition there is a symbol in the ceremony where the head of the household takes matzah, which is unleavened bread that is striped and pierced, that they break it off, they wrap it in linen, and they hide it only to bring it back later. This bread is referred to as the afikoman, which means it comes later. In the cooking of matzah, it's pierced to ensure that it's cooked thoroughly. It's striped because of how it's laid upon the stone. And in Jewish tradition, and all throughout the Bible, leaven represents sin. So for the bread to be leavenless signifies that there is no sin in it. Now, I hope you see the incredible symbolism in the sacrifice of Christ. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 700 years before the crucifixion, it was ordained that Jesus would be the striped, pierced, sinless sacrifice for our sins. That he would be wrapped in linen and and hidden in the earth only to rise again on the third day. This was no accident. It happened all according to plan. Now, it is incredibly difficult to leave our study here because um, Jesus has just been killed in Scripture and we're leaving off when he's buried in the ground. But we know that John doesn't end the study here and that Jesus, uh, just like the Afikoman, comes later by raising himself from the dead. Now, I I had uh, an interesting conversation with my brother-in-law's father this week in which he told me, 
He once asked a county coroner how long a person can be dead before his body begins to decay uh, and deteriorate. And he said the coroner told him that a body has to be dead for more than 72 hours uh, 72 hours before it begins to deteriorate, which is incredibly significant that Jesus rose on the third day. Psalm 16.10 says, For you were not abandoned my soul to Sheol, uh, this, the word for hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo to decay. So this shows us, once again, that the crucifixion was no accident, but the resurrection itself happened all according to plan. Now, I fear I might spend so much time in the text, I know that was a lot, uh, that, that you will have neither the time nor the patience for the application of this passage and how it is relevant to us. But I hope that you can hear me when I tell you that everything that God ordains happens all according to plan. In the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, Job says to God in Job 42, 22, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. So this is very important for every believer to understand because God not only has plans for Jesus, had plans for Jesus, plans which Satan and the Romans and the Jewish leaders attempted to thwart, plans which God carry out upon completion, but that God has plans for you and for me. Now, I believe that if we have developed a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's promptings, God will share those plans with us. And I confess that many times God has shared his plans with me, and every time I question God, how will you bring this about? I'm only a kid, and how will you do this? They will never let that happen, and how will this take place? I mean, who's going to listen to me? But every time I question him, every single time I tried to run, God's plans and purpose was not only revealed, it was carried out unto completion. And I say this to show you that we serve a great and powerful God, that there is no one that can change his plans, not even us. I know that Christmas is coming up, and this is typically the time that is the most stressful for us because there are many plans that we have to make. And so this is the only application that I have for you today. Maybe God has more, but this is my application for you. In your planning, it's important, as the book of Proverbs says, to have many advisors around you. But unless your advisors are telling you this, your plans will come to ruin. You must bring the ultimate advisor into your planning. For God's plans stand above all others. And instead of asking God to change his plans to meet yours, simply surrender your plans over to him. Because if wisdom and experience should teach us anything, it's that God's will is always done. Don't frustrate yourself by making your own plans. Turn to the Father and let him teach you what to do. And stand in in awe and wonder when everything he determines goes all according to plan. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.